0: Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the the Reflections Podcast. And in this episode, I'd like to first off thank everybody for watching the first one. That's That's the first thing. I know I've received some good feedback from friends and family, and... Hopefully, I can continue doing this thing. I know consistency is the most important thing. And um, I have a few ideas in mind. And like I said in the last episode, I will include guests. Unfortunately, this episode did not... I I could not get the person that I wanted to to be involved in this one. Because it's actually about history. This episode will be... um, a primary source analysis I'll be looking at a primary source I'll, I'll talk more about that but actually let me just tell you what my plan was and how unfortunately my plan was not executed so I have a friend of mine he's also uh, an admirer of history and I told him that my next episode will, will be history related and we we dealt. we said okay we'll do it this Thursday and no, you know, everything was going smooth, but, uh, man, uh, what can I say? Uh, I couldn't get a hold of him. He's, he's busy. I'm busy. I couldn't get another episode last week. So that's why I'm doing this thing today. You know, I don't want to wait too long and, um, it doesn't have to be the most amazing quality. I feel like if I just have the most amazing quality of information, is is much more important than the quality of the podcast because that that just improves automatically it just evolves like how everything evolves we didn't start uh we didn't just come into being and and just like like one day as an adult no you had to start from a child and grow up and all that crap so yeah this thing is gonna grow (laughs) that was kind of funny okay so um like I said I've received some good feedback and I really really appreciate that And we'll see how this thing goes, honestly. Um, Only time will tell. I'm going to try to be consistent. Anyways, welcome to episode two. Now, in this episode, I'm actually going to be looking at a primary source document that I really found interesting. And I really wanted to talk about this thing because it goes to show um the importance of history for me like why i personally like history and i i love to study history honestly history teaches us like the fundamentals of society you know how it's created and how it's destroyed of course this um cycle of of human history you know history is like a cycle Like. And we do evolve technologically, we do advance, we are at a point in time where we're at, like, um, you know, at the best we've ever ever been in history, obviously, since it's, (laughs) like, time progresses in one direction, so obviously we're gonna move forward with time, you know, that, that, uh, uh, hopefully that makes sense, (laughs) sound retarded, man, anyways, so yes i I really love history, and I think everybody should read history. You would benefit a lot you know if you'd love to be rich read about um you know historical figures in history that 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 uh, like uh, accumulated all wealth from all different societies in such a way that you can learn um how you can use their methods and and their discipline you can learn from their discipline and their abilities to um you know, persuade people to put them at the top of the social hierarchy with all this money. That's what money is, isn't it? It's just basically the amount of money is supposed to be. You know, this is my money supposed to be. The amount of money is supposed to be how much you've contributed towards a society. You know, the more money you have, that means the more money you've contributed. The more things you've contributed in society, and that's why people with more money are perceived to be in a higher status because we'd like to think they earned it. In such a right way, they've worked too hard, and yeah, so um at least that's what I think of it, you know. It's my own breakdown of how money works. Uh, and you know, and in this let me just introduce you guys actually to the source without like further ado. Honestly, the source is from 1750 BC, and the title of the source is The Complaint Tablet to Ian Sir. And what is that tablet? It is from Babylon, okay? So Mesopotamia, modern-day Iraq. So known as the uh, many names. Uh, not just Babylon, it was Akkadia, it was Sumer. It was um um uh, Babylon like they said, you know, and um uh Assyria And then after Syria, I think it was just a straightward, straight downward spiral because they never gained independence until, um, after, um, European colonialism ended and Iraq was formed. So yeah, modern day Iraq, um, was, um, the heartland of a lot of empires and, uh, and, um. You can't really much say much about it. The rich, rich, amazing history of of, of uh, the dawn of civilization. That's what it is. Mesopotamia and Sumer is the, the, where civilization started. I believe it started in other places as well around the same time. But that's where really we see rich developments because that's where rioting started. We don't know about the other societies that might have been well-developed much, much before... Um, um, Babylon or, or Assumer, but we know that they were the first to start writing and documenting and from translating these documents, we we can tell how advanced they are. That's why we can't tell how advanced other, other societies are, like I said. So, this complaint tablet to Enesir is a clay tablet from Babylonia, like I said, 1750 BC. It's from a merchant, uh, it's actually <clears throat> a customer named Nani that's complaining to Enesir. And what he's complaining about, he's complaining about, um, Inesir is a merchant, I mean, yeah, Inasir is a merchant, and Nanny is his customer. And Nanny is buying copper ingots, ingots, sorry, from Inesir, and, um, the copper of, is of low quality. And, um, according to the source here from another delivery, uh, he didn't even accept the copper, because, um, Uh, He did complain earlier as well that the quality was low and um, Yeah, so they found this tablet. It's written in the tablet. It's written in cuneiform cuneiform is um, the first like I said the first um, Writing system to ever developed and it's like uh, they call it cuneiform because it's like wedge-shaped symbols Before that, of course, we had pictograms and other stuff but this is actually where like writing writing came in where where it, it's of course uh cuneiform I'd like to explain that it's a very 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 difficult language and to give you a little bit of little bit a tiny hit a bit of history about um writing so it was uh pictograms at first and then the, these pictograms developed into like very distinct symbols that can be read which is cuneiform you can't like pictograms were just pictures and then you can tell in your mind what that picture means but then Cuneiform is actual actual writing and it was very very extremely complex, extremely complex because these symbols did not resonate as sounds in the person's head when you were looking at it. You had to like show it to a professional scribe to write and read. So, literacy was very very low, of course. And scribes were like at the top of the uh, like at the upper parts of the social hierarchy because they were highly educated scholars. And by scholars I mean people that only knew how to read and write. That's what I mean. That that's how that's how much um uh reading and writing was important and, and rare in these days. So and then later on these cuneiform uh thing um the, the cuneiform developed into the alphabet that we know today, but how it did that is actually in um well there's multiple stories. And I'm not going to go very deep into it, but I'm going to tell you what I know. And then you can research this by yourself, because I do not like to give wrong information. I believe history um, is is very um, important to show like the right sources. And I can't name the sources from the top of my head, but I'm just going to tell you a little bit about it. So in in the Sinai Peninsula, the merchants, these um, (coughs) merchants from Palestine, I believe, Um they were the first to actually make the alphabet and the way they made it, they looked at cuneiform and they were like, We have to give this to scribes to write and read and all that stuff. We deal with business, we want to document and we have to learn how to read and write. And we don't want to learn like five hundred different symbols. So why don't we just make symbols that actually uh uh are show uh what's it called? Letters you know so sa- sounds you know so they wanted sounds they wanted symbols that show the sound of each letter so they drew pictures of um, the letter a and uh, letter a in Greek is alpha and alpha was actually Phoenician which is where these uh, what uh, these merchants spoke. Alpha is Phoenician for elif and elif meant ox. And Phoenicians say that they, they drew a head of an ox so that they can remember that this is ox, alif. And alif starts with a, uh, a uh sound. So they're like, okay, this is a, alif, a. So when you see the word, the, the symbol of an ox, you say a. Uh, and then you follow up with the rest of the symbols with the sounds that they started. And the letter B was bait or beta in, in Greek, obviously. Or bait in Phoenician, also Arabic. And bait in Arabic and in Phoenician, because they're both Semitic languages, which are highly related, means house. Bait. So, yes. Bait means house. And they drew a picture of a house. And they're like, okay. Bait starts with the sound b. B. So, the B is b. So, when you say A, B, it's ab. Okay. Which is father, (laughs) button in Arabic and Phoenician. But, yeah. Forget about it. So, yeah. And then C... Uh, no, not C, actually. They have uh, alif, al- Alpha, Beta, and Delta, I believe. with Which is Dalit in Hebrew and Phoenician. Hebrew, Phoenician, and Arabic. There are three Semitic languages which are highly related. Phoenician and Hebrew are almost the exact same thing, by the way. And Arabic is South Semitic, so um, they have different sounds. But, I mean... They have pretty much like 80% of the sounds. Anyways, let me not get off topic. So I explained to you guys how the alphabet was formed. And let's get back to the source. So this clay tablet, which is the complaint letter, which was, of course, written by a scribe. And these guys would hire scribes to write these letters for them, the merchants and the customers of the merchants, which were probably businessmen. Because the upper classes um, were the people that conducted business and, you know... There was no jobs back then. Oh, pretty much no jobs. You know, there was no capitalism. You were just either rich or you're a slave. That's it. So um, Nani, which is the customer of Eneser, Let me just, sorry. Let me just get back to the tablet real quick. This tablet was found in within the house of Eneser in Babylon. There, but it's believed to be the house of Enosur. It was uh, an old Babylonian house that was found in the ruins of the city of Ur, the ancient city of Ur, which is a Sumerian city, and then Akkadian, then Babylonian, like I said. So yeah, they found this tablet in here. And the funny thing is, they found actually other tablets within that same house, which is believed to be Enosur's house, which is the copper merchant. Keep that in mind. Enosur is the copper merchant. Uh, they they found letters from... Uh, another man who complained that he did not receive his copper and then another another from um, I believe it's another customer and I believe his name is Imgur Sin who said he was tired of receiving bad copper so this guy was a terrible terrible business this business was terrible and really, like terrible customer <laughs> what's it called um they they had terrible customer relations and stuff like that and let me give you the translation i'm going to read it to you and this is not just to show you the source like i said this is going to be an analysis so i'm going to break it down and give you my own thoughts since i've given you the history of the source and a little bit of other history of the stuff let me just read the source for you so the source is from like i said a customer of enosur of babylon and uh, the customer's name is nanny And a little bit about Ineser that I forgot to mention also is that he travels to the Persian Gulf to buy copper. And then he returns to Mesopotamia or or the city of Ur to sell it. And yeah, so Nanny has been a previous customer, like I said. And uh, what's it called? Nanny sent his servant with this tablet. I mean, sorry. Yeah, he sent his servant, not with the tablet, sorry, with the money to complete the transaction. But the copper was uh, like bad and, you know, with was substandard copper, and it was not accepted. So in response, Nanny created the cuneiform uh, letter, this tablet, to be delivered to Enosir with his servant, with Nanny's servant. And um, in this, uh, before I go in and in, in give you the translation, like I said, I want to tell you that w- what's contained within it. So he's basically complaining about the the delivery that was of, you know, The delivery uh, was bad, like I said, you know, bad copper. And then he had another issue with another delivery. But he's also complaining about his servant. He complained that his servant was not treated. um, He was treated um, rudely, you know, which goes to show that um, I'm not sure if the servant is a slave. I'm not sure if it's a slave, which is I think pretty much he's a slave because back in the days, slavery was very normal. But I'm just showing you that these people who own slaves or servants actually were a little bit more humane than the transatlantic slavery that was happening in the United States and Northern or Southern America in general, not just the United States. I'm not just trying to demonize the United States like, you know, like a lot of the media does. But yes, the transatlantic slave trade, in my opinion, also the, um, the, um, the slave trade in the, during the Ottoman times was also very terrible because they would. uh, but that's, that's just another topic for another, um, Another one of those uh, episodes of the series. So, into the translation. I'm sorry, I've, I've delayed this thing for too long. But I've just wanted to, you to understand everything that's going on. And try to break it down like as much as I can for you. So, I apologize. Let me just drink some water. Alright folks, I'm back. So it reads. <clears throat> Complaint letter to Eneser of Mesopotamia, the city of Ur, and from the Akkadian language, by the way. Tell Eneser, Nani sends the following message. When you came, you said to me as follows, open quotation mark, I will give Gimgil Sin, when he comes, fine quality copper ingots, close quotation marks. You left, then but, You did not do what you promised me. You put ingots which were not good before my messenger. Sin, sin. That's the messenger's name, by the way. And said, open quotation marks, if you want to take them, take them. If you do not want to take them, then go away. Close quotation marks. What do you take me for? That you treat somebody like me with such contempt? I have sent messengers, gentlemen, like ourselves, to collect the bag with my money deposited with you, but you have treated me with contempt by sending them back to me empty-handed several times, and though that and through enemy territory. is there anyone among the merchants who trade with Telmoon? who has treated me in who who has treated me in this way you alone treat my messenger with contempt on the account that one trifling mina of silver which i owe you you feel free to speak in such a way while i have given to the palace on your behalf 1080 pounds of copper and sumi abum likewise given 1080 pounds of copper apart from what we both have had written on our sealed tablet to be kept in the temple of Samas. How have you treated me for that copper? You have withheld my money bag from me in enemy territory. It is now up to you to restore my money to me in full. Take cognizance that from now on, I will not accept here any copper from you that is not of fine quality. And I shall, from now on, select and take the ingots individually in my own yard. And I shall exercise against you my right of rejection, because you have treated me with contempt. And that's the end of the letter, folks. So... Now, into the primary source, I mean, the primary source breakdown, like the analysis of this primary source. Uh, I want you to ask in your head, th- this was actually so hilarious, honestly, to me. <laughs> this letter is almost 4,000 years old, and it's a customer complaint letter. Let that sink in. It is amazing, honestly. It is very amazing, Uh, It shows us um, it tells us about the the time period when uh, Babylon was at the heart of of trade and commerce and um, How the economics of the region uh, depended heavily on these merchants that traded these like uh, important very important elements like copper and Silver and other things and the copper ingots and he mentions that uh, they're kept in a temple And this shows like maybe like an earlier history of banking that uh, temples were used uh, to keep things. And of course, they would keep them. I'm guessing. I'm honestly guessing. I'm not sure about this, that they would keep things in sacred places such these so that thieves and criminals uh, would be scared of divine punishment, you know. When like you rob from a bank that's fine but you rob a mosque or a church or a synagogue <laughs> at the time period when religion was at the heart of nation i think that would uh scare a lot of people away honestly and also they mentioned silver so they they use silver not just um uh so this is was after the development of coinage and in and in, and in, in, uh, Strong currency, such as silver, was in circulation, which goes to show that this is amazing. And also, he calls the messengers and the servants that he sent gentlemen. He literally calls them gentlemen, which is amazing. That means he has um, respect for the the servants or possible slaves that he has. And these slaves or or servants were treated in a way that they are... um, are uh, supposed to be treated sorry in a way that they are a direct reflection of the person who's sending them so you treat them as if you're treating the person who's who's uh, sending these people right um because he's sending them under his behalf and this is well written this is we're very well written and um it is very um uh it it, it has a, it shows a lot honestly and it's amazing to see that um that customers uh, complain, you know, back in the days, complain. And this guy, specifically, (laughs) Ian Assur was a terrible business, honestly, because they, like I said, they found other letters in there about wrong deliveries and stuff like that. And he basically, in the letter, also shows that when he made the initial complaint and came back and asked for a finer quality, basically, he said, take it or leave it. So this might show... That he was one of the few merchants in the city of Ur that sold copper, because they would have just went to another person, right? If copper was in in um, was uh, um, very you know scattered across the region, you know they would just go to other people. But uh assur uh, actually travels to get that copper. He travels to the Persian Gulf, so. That's a very long way from home. And I'm guessing he travels to moon, which is in Bahrain, which has a civilization that actually made copper. So you can Google that and research about it. But yeah, um, he might have traveled to moon, which is Bahrain, to get the copper and come back. That's a very long way. And then he had to make ingots from the copper to sell them, right? So, yeah, this is this is very interesting, honestly. And and he might has had a monopoly on the copper in the city of Ur because people are complaining and he still was like, take it or leave it. I don't have to do anything because I'm, I'm controlling the um the uh the commodity, you know, and commerce in general, you know, commerce, the fact that it's been this developed, that they have customer complaints and letters and deliveries and all that. Uh, at that time period, 4,000 years ago, just goes to show like the importance of like, you know, commerce and how it developed. And, and, and honestly, I feel like commerce, you know, of course, it's supply and demand, it, economics and stuff like that. But I feel like humans are a successful species because of two things, honestly, successful species when I'm talking about economic and thus social and um, uh you know, social and uh, <coughs> cultural deve- developments, right? Um, I feel like they are a successful species because of two things, and that's doing things and wanting things. You know, humans like to do things. You like to do things. Everybody wants to work. Everybody wants to find something they want to do, right? You want to do things that are productive. And hopefully from that productive um <coughs> Uh, engagement that uh, that you uh, are participating in with yourself, that productivity will benefit your society, and then that productivity that whatever you're producing, whether it's art or um, actual uh, products or services or whatever it is that you're producing, benefit, and that's something what people want, and that's the second thing, wanting things. That's the second thing that I believe. Uh, uh, which is uh, that made humans successful economically, you know, that made the ec- economy developed. So, doing things and wanting things, and if we give people the opportunity to do more things, i.e., jobs and going to school to learn skills to do more things, and the incentive to want more things, i.e., um, you know, production and creating more things and stuff like that, um. Social cohesion would be prolonged and I think people would be more contempt because everybody's going to be doing something that they like. And this is how you create a successful society, to be honest, and that's how Babylon and all these societies were successful. Of course, they didn't have capitalism in that very advanced, super productive, uh, uh, you know, modern economic system. Obviously, they did not have that. But they did have a very the basis of 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 economics. They had the basis and the things the things that lit up capitalism. You know, before capitalism, um, at least in Europe, there was feudalism, which was a brutal, just brutal, like like uh, atrocious system, and that was. Like, it feels like archaic. It feels like it was way before Babylon that that this this system would be in because it was just a system of a strict hierarchy, like a social hierarchy that you were locked in. You had like these medieval serfs, you know, you've heard of medieval serfs, which are pretty much slaves, you know, work in the fields. And then they, they work with the lords and the knights and, you know, all that. And all up there is the king and the clergy and the church. So yeah that this um feudalism was terrible and uh you know um the source uh showed me a lot about economics you know economics is is a very interesting subject I'm not an economist and I'm not trying to like give you an expert opinion or whatever this is just like the <laughs> like the name of the podcast this is my own reflections this is my own thoughts and hopefully, um, my own thoughts are correct. It doesn't have—I mean, it's not always correct—but that's up for you to decide and research and, you know, uh, criticize me for. So, and of course, I'm always open to criticism for me to um, be more careful of presenting bad information or outright false information, which I'm—I'm I'm very against. I hate providing force of false information. So yeah, like the friends and family who uh reached me out last time and gave me really honest feedback, I would appreciate I would I I really appreciated that. And um if you the viewer, if you listening to this right now have any comments or suggestions or anything that I said that was wrong that you would like to clarify for me. You know, maybe you're an economist or something. <laughs> you're like, oh, okay, there, with that, you, you messed up in, uh, in 27 minutes, uh, 31 seconds. Okay, you said this, this, and this. So, yeah, feel totally free to reach out to me. I'm very open for, for criticism. I love it. I love it. I, there's no other way for me to get better than criticism, right? So, yeah, I really thank you. And um, back to economics. Uh, hmm. so I want to make a whole episode about my own reflections of economics and from what I've, like, researched on. And of course, I'll provide sources mm, to back my arguments. I'm not just going to blabber from, like, what I see or whatever. I'm going to try to um, speak uh, in a more educated manner. But for now, let me uh, talk a little bit about uh, economics, you know. From this source. Like using this source. So. uh, Yeah. Like I said. After. um, After. Babylon collapsed. Obviously this was in the Babylonian period. So that was after Hammurabi. And after the development. Of the legal code system. If you didn't know. I'm probably going to talk this in the next episode. I want to do one more episode of, to as a follow-up to this one that talks about Babylon in general. You know, how was it a successful society, not just because of their economics, but also because of their really, really good leadership. Of course, back in the day in, in, in Babylon, we did not have democracy or anything. We had the king, and the king was seen as an extension of, of um of uh, uh, the divine authority that was uh, rep- uh, representing the, the region or the city. They had polytheism. And almost always every city had one main chief deity. And then a thousand others. Not a thousand. I'm just like obviously using my own rhetoric here. But you know they had like a million other deities in there. And one chief main one. So in Babylon the moon goddess was I believe called... Um, oh man... Inanna, I think so, I forgot. But yes, that's the, that was the chief deity of Babylon. I, I believe so. I'm sorry if, I, if I'm if i wrong. But yes, and um, at the time of Hammurabi, when Hammurabi consolidated his power, he was an amazing, amazing pol- politician, man. Because the way he, like, the way the tactics he used were Machiavellian tactics, and Machiavellianism was not developed, which is modern political science, pretty much, you know, Machiavelli... Machiavelli developed political science, and he used those tactics in, in, the, in The Prince. The Prince is a book by Machiavelli, which is the foundation of political science, like I said. And uh, in it, of course, he talks about political science, uh, not just political science, but he talks about how his own theories, um, which is supported by his own research from like history and whatever, about how you can consolidate power and, and rule with an iron fist. And he literally used almost these exact same tactics, um, Hammurabi, that is, to rule the city. And then uh, the the biggest historical contribution of Hammurabi, of course, is his code of law. And he made uh, a code of law. It's written in this beautiful, gigantic tablet, which they made a thousand copies of it or something like that. And distributed it across, across his domain, across his empire. And, um, of course, he propagandizes himself as being, you know, sent from God or something like that. But then he made, he makes, like, he made a, a, a code of law. It, like, uh, the modern judiciary, uh, uh, what's it called, legal system is based off of that. It's based off of Babylon. So, you see what I'm saying? I'm speaking of uh, Babylon's contribution in history, you know. I'm speaking of... Um, their, their their development of, of this amazing economic system that I talked about where like you have customers and you have these copper ingots and they keep them in in temples and stuff like that but I'm also talking about how 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 this legal system probably helped the the society to develop in such a way because the legal system was very important of course for them to have um a secured um, social system of course um, it was also important to secure his empire from inva- from invasions and invasions back in the day <laughs> it's not like today today pretty much every country is um, well developed with an army and almost every country has agriculture and trade and stuff like that right but back in the days you had something called barbarians which are people that never developed enough to built their own cities. And I'm not calling barbarians a specific uh, racial group or ethnicity. Everybody was barbarian, almost, you know, like every racial group had barbarians and civilized peoples in Africa. Barbarians, there was barbarians everywhere. And then there was also very civilized uh, people. There was the, the empires in Ghana, empires in Sudan, which is like the Meroe and the Kush and Egypt and all that. But they also had barbarians, which was from the same ethnic group. There were just people outside the city, people that were still hunting and gathering. And they just come in these cities, kill everybody, you know, take their women, rape, pillage, and just start the cycle all over again. They learn it and then they develop their own distinct societies, right? So it was very important to have a secured city back in the day. That's why almost every city from like 2000 BC onwards, or maybe, I'm sorry, let me take that back. I'm gonna say about five thousand BC, maybe even way before that. You can research that and please like let me know if I made a mistake historically. But from like seven or eight thousand years ago, people started surrounding their cities with walls, literally walls, to keep people outside. <laughs> that were seen as barbarians, that were seen. As invaders, because yes, they're not going to they're not just friendly immigrants that are going to say, hi, we just want jobs or whatever, you know, like like how immigration is right now. You know, immigration right now is completely different, you know, and uh, the need of walls today is a topic of debate that I'm not going to get into politically. But I'm just going to tell you that you had to have a wall back in the day to defend your city. And so, yes, Babylon was very secured with amazing walls And there was the Gate of Ishtar, which... Beautiful, just beautiful piece of art. You can look it up. I think they have replicas now because the original thing was destroyed. And I think the original one is like literally all the way up in um, the uh, the British Museum in London. Which is where this tablet is right now. This original copy of the tablet. I don't believe there was an original uh, Ishtar wall. Please fix me if I said that wrong, like I said. But yes... Going back to that, all these things helped the economy develop. you know, the legal system, the, the walls and the army and, and, and the good leadership from people like Hammurabi, you know, and this shows that these same things that are the fundamentals of a good society must be applied in today. I believe, yes, we need. um. OK, let me take that back before people say, OK, you want people to be locked outside in walls and whatever. No, no, no. That's a topic for a debate that I'm not going to get into because I don't have enough information to agree whether we need a wall or not. I do not have enough information. I'm not going to lie. I don't know if we need a wall or not. Okay. I don't know if countries need a wall or not. I do believe absolutely every country needs security and needs to secure itself from, um, you know, undocumented or foreign or illegal uh, people that come in that we don't know much about. Yes, we need uh, Yes, we can provide these people opportunities. And yes, it's very inhumane for us to kick people outside and all that stuff. Yeah, I do agree with you on that. But I believe, yes, you can't just have open borders. Because what is a country without borders then? (laughs) At least, yes, yes. So let me say this. At least I know that we need a border. But I don't know about the wall situation or whatever. So I can't speak on something that I lack the information about for me to make a, uh, a critical... And a reasonable judgment, okay? So I'm not going to comment on that. Now, uh on the good leadership, of course, we need good leadership. And, um you know, the economy, for the economy to develop, we need a good legal system. Like the, the one Hammurabi developed for the time. For the time, this was an amazing progress. Amazingly liberal, by the way, for the time, you know? And this guy in this legal document that he wrote, which I'm going to read to you maybe next time, it's about 200 and something code like legal codes, which is a lot. It's going to take hours. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Maybe I'm going to have a few like uh, a small excerpt from it just to show you how advanced it is. He talks about marriage, divorce, property laws, slave laws. And uh he talks about um of course, an eye for an eye came from in there, obviously an eye for an eye. If you pop a man's eye, your eye gets popped. That's how it was in um in Hammurabi's law and if you of course, it talks about uh the social hierarchy because if you pop an eye of a of a slave which was not considered a citizen, of course it was considered property. you're not gonna get your eye popped, but you're either gonna get your slave's eye popped or you're gonna pay for it uh like pay for the the slave, the hurt slave, or whatever. And if you take someone's slave and help them escape, by the way, you know this was very brutal. Um, I know I talked to and said like slave slavery was not as brutal as the transatlantic, transatlantic slave trade and other slave trades. And yes, I do stand by that till now. But it was still brutal, you know. And there, yes, there was more mobility for slaves and more ability for slaves to buy their freedom and and actually excel and uh, through the society, it was more malleable for them to um to um escape slavery but uh it was still very brutal for some slaves was a lot of slaves and it was not racial by the way it was not racial there was no black slave white slave or asian slave or Sl- slavic slave which was where the word slave comes from anyway um there was just slaves you know everybody was a slave there were white slaves back in the day there were asian slaves probably in asia there were slaves from every single race i'm i'm pretty sure okay uh and that's why the transatlantic slave trade was was very brutal because it was sl- uh it was racially uh motivated not racially motivated necessarily but racially targeted you know they would target africans um but yeah and I think that would be it for this episode, folks, because I'm straying away to a lot of different topics, and I hope that you learned something useful honestly, I really do uh tell me what you think of this um and for those that say history is not important or whatever, you know, or maybe you think this is a waste of time for you to read about this where you can be, learn about like other technical skills or something like that that can help you land um, a, a good job or whatever <laughs> that you want to do right now. Um, I believe, yes, you you should, um, of course, not waste your time. But at the same time, I do believe that the information I talked about is very valuable for you to think about, um, you know things going on around you your your own society like where you're at right now and and from the past how things were and how we came to be where we're at today to modernity and what mistakes happened in the past and all that stuff so i i really hope this was valuable information for whoever's listening anyways thank you very much folks i hope you have a wonderful evening day night whatever time of day you're watching this have a good one